Lord, we thank you for these people, and we ask, Lord, for your spirit to fill our sanctuary, to fill each person individually in their mind and their heart. And we ask, Lord, that wherever they're at, wherever they need to be ministered to, that you would touch them there. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our study of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 9. We're going to wrap up this chapter this morning. Verse 57 is where we're going to start. We're going to finish off this chapter in verse 62. And I'm sure many of you have heard testimonies of faith. Right? And I've been blessed to hear some really powerful testimonies. Many of those testimonies coming from our church. And every Saturday morning we have this women's testimonial group who, that, that meets right there in the chapel. And I believe it's at 9. And they, and they meet until 10.30 around there depending on which woman is speaking. And so they're in there. And even though I wish to attend, I am one who respects boundaries. And so I don't go in there when they meet. One thing I can be sure of within those groups is that it wasn't some religious act that saved the person that was sharing their testimony. It's not some religious act that saved that person from their sins. It wasn't because they took communion. It wasn't because they decided to get baptized or that they fasted or that they read the Bible or all this stuff. It's not those things that saved them. It wasn't those acts. Now, sure, many of those things or all of those things can be part of one's spiritual journey, but the act in itself, those very acts, are not what determine their relationship with Jesus, with God. A profession of faith in Jesus Christ is not caused by a religious act. Right? But, it's, but it's through a relationship, and it's through many things. It's, it's very dynamic. And so here we have this relational command from Jesus, and that command is to follow. To follow. And this morning, we're going to take a look at these three scenarios here this morning of those who come in contact with Jesus. Last week, we celebrated Easter. Right, the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, conquering death to be our justification from death. And the disciples didn't quite understand that until after his death, even though Jesus was trying to get this across to them along the way. Right? You go back to Luke chapter 9, verse 22, and Jesus said this to them. He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And then Jesus repeated this in verse 44 of chapter 9. He said this. He said, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. See, Jesus was very clear at what his mission was. He he knew his purpose. And we get a glimpse of this in Luke chapter 9 verse 51. It says, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So in going to Jerusalem, the things Jesus spoke of in regards to suffering and rejection and death and resurrection, all of that comes to fruition because he's focused on Jerusalem. Now in verse 57, even though he understood that very clearly, that he was to be focused on Jerusalem, the disciples that were following him, they didn't. And so here we are in verse 57, following up all these kind of like clueless wonder things going on. Verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now let's pause for a moment just to camp out on this first section of scripture, as they were going along the road. Let's just stop there for a minute. And you get this idea that they've been traveling a bit, at least long enough to have these three scenarios in regards to to following Jesus recorded in our gospel. So there's no doubt in my mind that other things were talked about during these travels, that these weren't the only three things that they talked about during these travels. But Luke records for us these three scenarios of following Jesus for us. And the replies Luke records for us don't seem like very nice replies from Jesus, do they? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These just don't seem like very nice things to say, do they? Right? 
the nice thing to say would be more along the lines of, okay, follow me where I go. Or, yeah, go bury your dad. Or, that, that's a good idea. Go say goodbye to your loved ones and then come back. I mean, those would be kind of nicer things to say. These actually seem kind of abrasive. And especially the second one, right? Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, anyone here think that Jesus was always nice? Anybody think this? Because I'm going to burst your bubble. Anybody? He's not. He's not always a nice guy. He's not like me. <laughs> but, but the thing is, Jesus isn't always unpleasant either. Right? Especially if you're repentant. Especially if you're humble. He's, he's, he's so nice when you come to him like that. I mean, he's, he's big teddy bear, Jesus. And the thing about Jesus, he's not uh, like this cookie-cutter God either. He, he doesn't treat everyone the same way. His, his relation to, to, relationship to you is different than anyone else because you're different from anyone else. So the way he speaks to you and communicates with you and deals with you is different. He doesn't discipline you the same way he disciplines me. He doesn't talk to you the same way he talks to me. That we're, we're all different. So each of us being very unique, we're not just a number to Jesus. We are individuals that are unique. And like these guys whom Jesus was interacting with in, in these three scenarios, Jesus was dealing with them in very unique ways as unique individuals. And just like any of the other biblical scenarios that we find... He deals with those people in a unique way. So you go back to Luke, or go forward actually, to Luke 18. Remember the rich young ruler? Let me read that to you, that story. It starts in verse 18 of chapter 18 of Luke. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. The things Jesus said to this guy were in direct correspondence to this guy. And what he was dealing with and his struggles and all this stuff, that his heart issues and stuff like that. Jesus knew that this guy's issues were in regards to material wealth, his possessions, his money. And this, those things were his idols. That was his idol. And Jesus knew exactly where to point his godly idol-finding finger. Right? He just, bam! And he does that to all of us. He knows exactly, bam! Like a... You know those old Chinese movies when they pressure point and you're stuck? He knows how to do that. And so you notice that when Jesus mentioned the commandments in verse 40, which ones did he not mention? Jesus didn't mention the ones that he probably actually struggled with. Right? Worshiping other gods, idolatry, misusing the name of God, keeping the Sabbath, covetousness. He probably struggled really hard with those things. The ones he mentioned, he was, you know, he's probably feeling pretty good about himself. You know, he's, he, he's, he, he's mentioning, Jesus is mentioning the ones that he's good at. And it's like taking a test. You know, you guys are students, some of you are still students. And, and so you're thinking, like, if the prof would only just ask me the questions that I know, I will ace this test. Right, so I know this and I'm going to be taking a final, and I'm supposed to know all ten chapters, but if he can only test me on chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, I am getting an A. I'm going to ace this thing. So, do not commit adultery. Yep, I got that one. Do not murder. Yes. I got that one. Do not steal. Yes. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. I got it. That's it. I aced it. He didn't ask me anything from, you know, chapters 1 through 4 or chapter 10. And I, 
I've done all those things you said since my youth. All of it, I've done it. Big grin on his face, you know, really proud. Jesus knows this. You can't fool him. So he says, hey, yeah, one more thing. And I wonder how this guy felt then. I don't know anymore. He's already said the five. He was like, oh yeah, you know that, that idol thing? Um, how about that covetous thing? You've done really well for yourself financially. You're really wealthy. When's the last time you took a Sabbath? Or do you just kind of work through that stuff? And maybe you're misusing the name of God in your business dealings or you're worshiping other stuff more than God. Big fat F. You failed. In fact, in this kind of grading scale, it's the, the bell curve is kind of really bad because Jesus kind of sets the curve. And so if you get 9 out of 10, if you get 9 out of 10, in most cultures, it's an A. Here, you fail. Jesus is much more like Asian culture. <laughs> right? 90%. 90%. I bring that home, my, my mom will be like, that's an A minus. That's not an A. There's a minus. I don't want to see an A minus. I want to see an A or an A plus. I used to get in trouble for that little minus sign. So, sorry, I just had this flashback of my mom. I just... <laughs> You know that book that's out about tiger moms? How many of you had a tiger mom? I'm just curious. That's it? Like, I was sure like I'd see a bunch of hands over there. What has happened to tiger moms? My mom is a liger mom. Have you guys seen Napoleon Dynamite? If you haven't, you will know what a liger is. If, if not, then forget it. She's a liger mom. You know what I'm saying? She... I mean, tiger moms are no joke, right? I mean, they're known throughout the continent of Asia. My mom is known through two continents. She's a liger mom. Anyway, if you get a 9 out of 10, 90%, you've still failed. It's not even an A-, it's a big fat F. You failed. Because before a holy God, it's only 100%. That's it. Because He's holy. It's only 100%. Not 99.9, whatever. It's anything less than 100, you miss the mark. That's a sin. You've missed the mark. And so you're saying, where's the grace in all of that? Shouldn't you have a little bit more grace? I mean, 100%. Who can do that? Jesus. The grace comes in and that God's design and God's plan is that He knew you couldn't do anything less than or more than perfect. Or perfect. He knew you couldn't do that. The grace comes in in that he says, so I'm going to send my son to take your place in death. That's grace. It's not kind of just saying like, oh, okay, 90. He gave his son as a sacrifice so that you can be looked upon as 100%. Perfect. That's why he died for us. And he's that 100%. He's that perfection. And he died for you and me so that we could come before a holy God as righteous, as clean, because that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. So Jesus told this rich ruler something for, for him as, as Jesus deals with us as individual people. That's how Jesus dealt with that rich young ruler. Because we can't fool God. And just like the rich ruler couldn't fool God, and neither can any of us, And neither can these three guys in our scenario this morning fool God. So here we are going into the first scenario. And he gives us a guy who's just really willing, really ready, also kind of presumptuous in following Jesus. Verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Really? No other details are given to us about this guy. You know, how long has this guy been really going with Jesus? Does he even know what he's getting into? Or is he just kind of like a follower and he just wants to jump right in? Right? Or was he a passerby or someone who had been with Jesus for a while? 
And it happens like this in ministry all the time, right? When someone says, like, you know, I want to be a pastor. I'd be like, no. You don't have a clue. This place is bad. Right? Unless you're called, it is bad. Because you deal with so much junk. And, the, and it's spiritually, and it's other people's problems, and all this stuff, and you're not appreciated, and all this stuff. It's terrible. So you got to be called to do it. When you're called, it's awesome. It's awesome. Tell me all your stuff. I like it. I like to pray with people. I like to serve people. I like it. But if you're not called to do it, you're just like, oh, another problem. I can't believe this person's dealing with this. This is just yucky and all this stuff. you got to be called. So this guy is like, how involved was he with Jesus and his disciples? Or is he just saying like, oh, that's kind of cool. He gets to do that stuff. And he gets to multiply food and, and stop storms and, and do all this stuff. But how serious was he really about following Jesus? Or was it more of the stuff that he saw? And like, oh, that'd be a cool experience. Or that's this. Or, wow, the paparazzi follows him around. Or whatever. So was this just kind of an emotional thing, or did he really think this through? Did he really think like, oh, if I did that, then this, this equals that? That equals Jerusalem. That equals suffering, rejection, dying to self, carrying my cross. Or was he just kind of get, getting all caught up in the, in the excitement and, and thinking that following Jesus, is that's a glamorous thing. The glamorous... Glamorous. Right? And, and these types of questions for, are for us as well. Right? Why are we following Jesus? Why are we serving Jesus? Is it fun to be involved in community? Is it fun to host the mayor? To get the chief and the captain's card? Is that fun? Is it exhilarating to be a part of a church that invests in the marginalized, who reaches out to kids who struggle in star testing and the prostitutes on International Boulevard and and the refugees that this is one in four cities in Northern Cal that hosts refugees? Is that just awesome? Or is it because that cute girl is at church and you've been coming because that cute girl's right there and you you know you gotta finagle your way? Now, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, it's not a bad thing. Not even the girl thing. That's okay, you guys. <laughs> Come on. You don't have to be shy. The worst you can say is no. Then you can just sit in the balcony. Um, <laughs> not that you guys have been rejected, because you guys can come down here if you know something happens there. <laughs> but, but if those are the only reasons... Just don't equate those good things with the best things. Following Jesus is the best thing. Verse 58, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What does Jesus mean by this? What does this mean? Jesus' statement was so that this guy would kind of clearly think through what discipleship to Jesus really meant. That it wasn't just some kind of you know, quick decision, just kind of an impromptu thing, not thought of, just a spontaneous kind of decision. Jesus wanted this guy to know what he was getting himself into to count the costs of following Jesus. Because back in verse 22 and verse 44, he's telling his disciples, look at that. That is Jerusalem. This is, that's where we're going. And they just didn't get it. Right? They, they're just not getting it. And Jesus is telling this guy, look there. That, that's, what, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. And the disciples, they're just not getting this. They don't get the suffering. They don't get the rejection. And, and so maybe like this guy, he doesn't get it either. And maybe he thought following Jesus was glamorous. That it was a fun thing. And wherever Jesus went, that there would be this status and this esteem. But Jesus tells him, hey man, I, I don't stay at the Ritz. I don't even have a pillow. So I don't, I don't get the stuff that you th- might think that I get. So this guy seems to be ready, but presumptuous. Another thing he seems to be is self-called, that he called himself. 
Jesus wanted to understand what was truly involved. And the, the calling is from him. It's not conjured up from yourself. You can't do it out of your own flesh, your own self. That there are some realities to keep in mind when, when we choose to follow him. And that it might not be as green on that side as you think. It's like our internship here at Regen. We shipped those guys off to the Philippines, and they, they didn't know exactly what they were getting into. Like, go! But you know, um, Dave Kim, who's running the race, and he paid for that race, I don't understand. But Dave Kim, he was an intern years ago. And so when he was first approached by the internship, it wasn't me, it was uh, somebody else that approached him about the internship and, and they painted this really pretty picture of the internship and what it was be and, and what he could do and follow his passions and how much free time he'd have and how fun it was and, and that there wasn't a lot of studying and, and the housing arrangements were like, they were five stars and... There was, it was just awesome. And all this stuff. Then Dave wanted the truth. So he called me. And so I told him, it's better. And I said, there are massages and gourmet food and chauffeurs. And that's going to be you. You're going to be the masseuse, and you're going to be the chef, and you're going to be the driver. Mine. <laughs> I told him the truth. And so that it was going to be tough. But that he was going to grow a lot as a disciple of Jesus, because he was going to put on those servant clothes and wrap that towel and be ready to serve. And that there was a fair amount of study... That there was a fair amount of service, there was a fair amount of community involvement, that there was a lot of time and energy and effort sacrificed for this intentional year of growth. I didn't hide anything. The crazy thing is he still signed on the dotted line. He still said yes. The, more, the, the even crazier thing is that every year people still decide to do it. And so next fall, we have four women that have kind of committed to being interns. And we've had and two men so far. See how it gets tougher that the women step up and the guys start dwindling? See how it happens? But it's really great. Right? And so, so, Je so Jesus was, and he still is, up, up front about what the costs are. He's, he's right up front. This, I'm going there. And this is what it entails. And there's no hidden agenda. There's no surprises in following him. He tells this guy, it's tough. I don't even have a pillow. And so he tells us, for us, he tells us that there are trials. He tells us that there are going to be tribulations in our life. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. But he does promise that he's going to be with us during those times. But he doesn't promise us that we're not going through those times. In fact, he guarantees it. You're, you're going to go through the junk, but I'm going to be there with you. Don't you hate it when people tell you one thing and it's something totally different? I hate it. Right? The, it's so much better to me when they tell me something and it turns out to be much better. That works out for me so much better than someone who promise me, promises me all this stuff and I get there and it's junky. Right, like, like when I reserve a room at a hotel or something and they promise you all this stuff and you go and it's like, the sheets are dirty, the towels are dirty, there's bugs in here, all this kind of stuff. But when you go somewhere and, and, they, and they treat you like, oh, I'm, I'm expecting a room, I'm expecting all this stuff, but then they, they give you like a goodie bag or they give you tickets to something or they do something more for you than what you expected, that's awesome. That's kind of what Jesus does too. He promises us the kingdom. We have no idea what that really is. But then we get these goodie bags. And we get these tickets. And we get these, all these different things. And we're figuring out like, whoa, this is a lot better than what was promised to me. Because I actually didn't even know what was promised to me. And you just start getting all this good stuff. 
Now, we're not told if this guy decided to follow Jesus or not. We're not given his full story. We're not told of his decision. After Jesus gives him the heads up that, you know, the celebrity treatment, that's not what I, I get. So, you know, and the first scenario gives us this guy who wanted to follow Jesus. He, he wanted to, to enlist, right? He wasn't recruited. And it was, it was someone who approached Jesus, asking Jesus, like some of our interns. Now, many of our interns, we recruit. We, we ask you. We recruit you. But some interns kind of ask us, like, oh, can, can I be? And so here we are, given these two types of scenarios, and so here we are to the recruitment one. 59. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now let's be clear here what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not instructing us to not attend funerals or not to attend funerals that aren't Christian. He's not telling us that. He's not telling us to forget about attending the funerals of of our families, of our loved ones. Jesus was speaking to this particular individual and he was not making this general rule that, okay, you guys don't bury your dads. He's not doing that. So what we can gather from this teaching is that There are costs to following Jesus. But this particular instruction is for this specific guy in this specific situation in his life. And so this isn't just some general thing for all of us to exercise. The emphasis is realizing that there are costs associated with following Jesus. And that there is this urgency and immediacy to following Jesus. So now that we got this cleared away, we don't know how much this guy, uh, we don't know his relationship with his dad. We don't know his situation. We don't know much about this guy. We don't know if this guy's dad was dying or if he was dead or if he was alive and he was just fine. It doesn't say. We can kind of make some assumptions as to what he was, but we're not told plainly what this guy was. We're just told that he wanted to go, first go and bury his father. That's what we're told. So let's take a look at those scenarios. Let's say that his dad was alive. And that his dad was 40. And so he had a lot of years left on his life. And if that's the case, this is a lot of time of stalling, isn't it? Just stalling. And so maybe this is some of you. Maybe you're a student, or maybe you just have newborn kids, or maybe you have all this stuff. How long are you going to stall to be used to, by God to serve the Lord, to follow Jesus? Or you're unemployed, or you're looking for work, or you're in this transition stage. How long are you going to stall and put following Jesus off. Where you're not making this full commitment to follow Jesus because you have other things to tend to, even though those things might be years away. If you're a student, your career is like years away. Are you going to let all that time go by and wait until then? Or if you are in your career and you're like, oh, I'm in a transition, I want to change careers, I'll do it then. How long are you going to stall? What about your family situation? Or maybe it's your spouse or your kids who are kind of holding you back and they have a grip on you that is preventing you from really following Jesus and what he's called you to do. And so you're letting your family kind of even hold you back. Kind of like this guy's dad who hasn't died yet. That's just one scenario we're looking at. Right, Jesus, you know, Thank you for calling me. Thanks for inviting me to follow you. I hear you. I hear you. And I'm going to put that invitation aside for a moment while I kind of take care of this stuff. And then I'm going to get back to you. I'll get back to you on these other things once my life kind of um, stops tying me down. And then I'll fully commit to you. I'd really like to fulfill your calling, Lord, but my wife. 
but my husband, but my parents, but my kids, but, but, but. Right? What? Now, what if this guy's father is dead? Let's take a look at the other end of it. What if this guy's father is dead? He says, Jesus, you know my dad is dead. Can I just go bury him first? And then I'm going to be right back. And then Jesus says this, which if this is the case, it seems kind of abrasive. He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So what if Jesus said that to this guy and his dad is really dead? Well, I think if this is the case, it shows the urgency of following Jesus, the immediacy of following Jesus. That even though we have this very respectable, honorable thing to do, to bury a father, that following Jesus is paramount when that calling is heard by a disciple from his Lord. That there are no guarantees when we are called to his service. When we have decided that we are following Jesus, your life is not your own. Right? When, when people decide to serve their country by going to the military, there are no guarantees for them as to what they can do. There are no guarantees that they can attend the funerals of their dead ones, their loved ones who have died. There are no guarantees that they can attend the births of their children. There are no guarantees that they can attend the marriages of their best friend, of their siblings. There are no guarantees. All those intimate moments of people's lives are not guaranteed for our military personnel. Especially, especially if their stuff is of urgency and immediacy. So if they're in some sort of special forces or some sort of thing where it's very specialized and they're called, they have to drop whatever they are doing and report. That's kind of the same sort of urgency and important Jesus is talking about here. If you have enlisted and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, or if you've been recruited and Jesus is calling out to you and you are as a follower of His, you don't have that many choices. And I, th- I think this is part of what's going on in Luke chapter 8, verses 19, uh, 19 through 21. When Jesus' mothers and brothers, they come for Jesus. Let me read that for us really quickly. Then His mother and His brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. These are pretty harsh words by Jesus, aren't they? These are pretty abrasive words by Jesus to his own family. But I think this is the type of thing that's happening in regard to urgency, immediacy, significance of following God. That when Jesus calls, it's time to heed the call. It's time to report for duty. You have no, you have no like, eh. if a guy in the military did that, what happens? He's thrown in prison. Right? He, he's thrown in prison. You have no choice. You made the choice earlier on to be recruited or to enlist. That's the same thing as Christians. You made your choice already before whether you wanted to be a follower of Jesus or not. Did you count the costs? Right? The military does that all the time. And that's not even a spiritual thing. Right? It's the call of duty for country. And it takes people out of very important times in their life. But that's what they signed up for. How much more when we've signed up to be a follower of Jesus? How much greater is that? How much more significant is that when we're called by Him for His service? And some of us are kind of loosey-goosey about that thing. Oh, you know, my choice and I, I want a certain amount of freedom and things like that. If our own world and our has an urgency for for protecting democracy or whatever, or I know some of you guys are conspiracy theorists, but let's just be idealists for a moment about what the military stands for in terms of protecting our country and things like that. How much more urgent is it to serve the kingdom of God and to save people from hell? 
Jesus asked in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Why do you even bother calling him Lord or God or whatever if you're not going to follow him? And another thing this guy may have been struggling with is that if his, if his father is indeed dead, there's something culturally going on here. Because if he was a good Jewish boy and he followed the, the rabbinical teachings in regards to traditional ceremonial laws, the burial of a father was a sacred duty of his son. It was an act of love for his father. And because the presence of a corpse would also defile him, if his father was dead and he wasn't buried yet, that was defiling to him. He was unclean. It didn't allow for him to do any religious acts. So Jesus inviting him, he might be thinking, well, I'm, I'm dirty. I'm, I'm ceremonially unclean. I can't serve. And also, I, I need to do this act of love. I need to pay my respects to my dad. So, so you see, if this is the case with this guy, if his dad is dead, he's not buried yet, you see all the kind of problems that are going through his head that it's, he's really conflicted. Maybe some of you are this way. Culturally, I can't do that against my parents. I can't do this because they, they paid for me to go to the prestigious school and to professional school and all this stuff and they invested all that. I cannot do that stuff until they're dead and then they don't know about it and then I can go serve or whatever, whatever the case may be. That maybe you're facing a challenge similar to this and that you have all these conflicting thoughts in your head as to how in the world can I serve the Lord? He's called me to do this thing and, and not do that because that's what my parents expect out of me. Or that's what my culture expects out of me. Or that's what my religion expects out of me. Because even Christianity in itself can be kind of oppressing sometimes. Because that's what religion does. And Jesus comes and he just kind of flicks religion off. He does this a lot. Right? Doesn't he do this with other traditional ceremonial laws? So here we have this traditional ceremonial law of burying your father and not serving because you're unclean. And so I think this is kind of similar to fasting. When Jesus goes and he kind of like throws fasting on top of his head. Right? Because you remember what he said in regards to that when he confronted the Pharisees and the scribes that were following them. This is what he said in Luke chapter 5, verses 33 and 34. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding geese, wedding geese, wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Right? And. And it's not to say that fasting is not important. It is. It's a great spiritual discipline. But it's not to dictate kind of your trajectory in relationship to Jesus. It's just a helpful tool. It doesn't determine it. And so what about another ceremonial law in the Sabbath? Right? Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Jesus is consistent in his opposition to religiosity. He really wants people to focus on a relationship with him, not on all these kind of like obstacles. He wants those spiritual disciplines to bring you closer to him, not to push you away. Right? Not to make those things more difficult for you to reach God. He wants those things to enhance it. So fasting and Sabbath, those are good things. They aren't good things when those are oppressive things and those things are pushing you away from following God. But those are just part of the package. Like You're going to receive stuff if you do this sort of thing in, in a loving way, in a joyful way. And so he does this. Look at the other kind of examples. Washing of hands before you eat. 
Doesn't Jesus kind of like flip that on its head too? Because the scribes and Pharisees are like, hey man, you guys don't wash hands. What's up with that? And Jesus kind of tells them, hey, that's cool. Just eat with dirty hands. Big germs eating little germs. You know, That's what my dad says, but he says it in Chinese, so it's more funnier when he says it that way. But that's what he does, right? Or, or touching dead people. That's a big no-no. You, that's, you're, you'd be defiled. Or, or touching lepers. Right? You'd be defiled. Lepers had to shout out, unclean, unclean, from really far away so people wouldn't come in contact with them and be defiled. Jesus just kind of goes like, goes right up there, right? Fellowshipping with prostitutes. Having a prostitute f- fellowship with you. Wash your feet and touch you and use her tears and let her hair down and wash. Jesus is punk rock. He's the religious stuff he's like eh, wash my feet you're a leper hey what's up buddy like come on he doesn't he's don't get me wrong Jesus is pious Jesus is a pious man Jesus is also a religious man but it's not all about the religion and it's not all about making that religion an obstacle but a help And it's about a relationship with Him, a relationship with God the Father. It's about His urgent mission of the kingdom of God. That that urgent mission allows Him to reach out to the prostitute, reach out to the leper. Because, yeah, I realize you're unclean, but there's an urgency here. We've got to make this relationship whole between you and a holy God, and I'm here to do that. And so the first scenario, we have this guy who wanted to volunteer. He, he wanted to enlist. The second guy, he, he was recruited. He was directly invited, right? Jesus said, follow me. And now we have this third scenario where this guy seems to be just wanting to do a fairly simple thing and saying goodbye. That's what he wants to do. Verse 61 and 62. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Seems kind of abrasive, seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? Because this seems like a really, really simple request. Doesn't seem like a big thing at all. Right? Let me just do this really quick thing and then I'm going to come back and let's go. But this is what Jesus is getting at, I think. That it doesn't, marry, it doesn't matter how large something is, like burying your dad. Or how small it is, like saying goodbye. It doesn't matter how big or small, the call of God is urgent. And it's significant. And it's, there's a sense of immediacy. No matter how big or how small, you want to de- defer your kind of attention from God. It doesn't matter how big or how small. When those things interfere with the calling of God to follow Him, it does not matter the size. That there are costs associated with following Jesus. And what this guy says to Jesus is really interesting. He says, I will follow you, Lord, but... But, let me first say farewell to those at my home. How many of us are like this? Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but... Jesus asked in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? There is no but. There is no but. In following Jesus, there is no but. There is no looking back. You go forward. You go forward. It's Jerusalem. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You can't plow a straight furrow looking back. It's impossible. You can't do it. We can't be indecisive about following Jesus. In order to move forward, you have to look forward. You can't always be looking over your shoulder. You're going to have this weird line. And it's, it's not like Jesus is telling us to do something that He didn't do Himself. 
Jesus was focused on Jerusalem. His face was set on Jerusalem. He knew what he had to do. He lived what he preached. He didn't kind of turn back. Right? Never. When the people came to him at the garden, he was like, hey, don't you think I can call legions of angels and wipe these guys out? You know? But his face is on Jerusalem. When he had the temptations by the devil and he's up on uh, those different temptations, don't you think he could have been like, hey, um, yeah, I don't have to deal with this. Get out of here. But his face is fixed on Jerusalem. He knew what he had to do. He, he lived what he preached. There wasn't anything that interfered with that calling. So he's not telling these guys or us to do something while he does something else. Jesus did suffer. He did get rejected. He did deprive himself. He did experience sorrow. He did experience abuse. He did live a life where people thought very little of him, including his own family. He lived all of this stuff. And what Jesus is teaching us is that nothing can interfere with us following him. Even if your brothers and sisters ridicule you, even though you have a bad reputation because people think your mother is... uh, a uh, floozy that, that got impregnated by somebody else uh, before you know he got married to Joseph. All this kind of stuff. Nothing can derail you. You have to stay focused. And as a disciple of Jesus, there are no excuses. There are no compromises. There are no buts or half buts. Follow him. And if you know, if you have felt God instruct you to do something, Do it. Do it. Have you ever known or felt God direct you to do something and you didn't do it? You've thought about it a lot. And and you've even felt it. Really, really intensely, you felt it. But if you don't do it, what benefit is that? You just thought about it a lot and you felt it a lot. And then what? So Mother's Day is around the corner. It's next week. All you guys have no excuse not to contact mom next week. How many of you have thought about saying I love you to your mom and have never said it? How many of you thought about writing a card that just simply says I love you to your mom but have never done it? But you thought about it a lot. Like, oh man, I really got to do this thing. I need to let her know. And, and you feel it. Because the more you think about it, you're like, oh yeah, I really need to tell her. But you haven't done it. It's not the same if you don't do it. If you just think about it a lot and you feel it a lot, it's not the same as doing it. As expressing it. It's not the same. I remember how uncomfortable I felt the first time I did it. I was like, in my culture, we don't say that. I don't say that. That's so weird. And then I was just kind of like on the phone. And I was just like, I love you, Mom. Bye. <laughs> and, then, and then she said, I love you back to me. And I was like, wow! Like her mom said she loved me. Like I couldn't believe it. Like she never says that to me. But now it's a little bit more free-flowing. And it's just like, I thought about it a lot. Just as a, as, a, as a boy, I thought about it, because I'd hear it from my friends, like, how come they can say that to their mom? Because I really feel that way about my mom, but how come they can say it and I can't say it? And so it was bothering me for years. I couldn't do it until I was an adult. But I felt it a lot, and I thought about it a lot. But it wasn't until then. And I have to say that from that, from that little tr- transaction of love, love language, like, it, it's blossomed into more. And, and it was cool. So by thinking a lot about it, by thinking a lot about something, we start to like build up an emotion for something, and you feel the love you have for your mom because because you've thought about it so much, and and the thought of doing something is taken over by a feeling. But you still haven't done it, and you have these feelings, and instead you kind of skirt around skirt around things, right? You buy gifts, or you take her places. I'm just reporting to you what I was doing. 
Right? You buy flowers and you write nice cards, but you don't say the love thing. You just write, thank you, mom, for raising me so well and providing for me and teaching me all these things. And you write these nice cards, but it's not the same thing as doing the very thing of saying, I love you. It's not the same. It's like a guy and a girl who have been dating a really long time. Right? He knows he loves her. He feels the love that he has for her. They've been dating for like 10 years. And he doesn't propose. Or maybe it's her. You know, she, she knows she loves him. She feels the love he has, uh, she has for him. But when they talk about marriage, she, she can't go there. She's not ready. She's she, oh, no, I can't. And they've been dating for years. They haven't done the exchange. They haven't tied the knot. It's just not the same. You can say all those things and you can feel all those things, but until you kind of come up here and make that covenant relationship with one another, it's not the same. It's like what happens to you when you hear the call of Jesus and you don't do what he instructed you to do. And you know all this stuff and you feel all this stuff, but you didn't get hitched. You didn't get married. So it's not the same to know your calling and to feel your calling, but you don't do anything. There's a big step missed. Right? So stop putting it off. Stop pulling that, putting that feeling off. Act on it. Right? It, it, that's not good enough to know and to feel. You've got to do something. Right? And don't rob yourself of not doing what the Lord has called you by skirting around the things that you, He has called you to do. For example, He has called you to something in terms of ministry. He's called you to ministry. And then you have all the buts, right? But I can't because of X, Y, and Z. So you do other things around the church that aren't your calling. You're just kind of skirting around, doing other things. When, you're, when the calling is right there in the middle and he's touching it, but you're kind of skirting around and you're doing other things to serve in the church, but you're not doing the exact thing that he's telling you. And so how, how about those of you who aren't following Jesus now, but you feel it? You felt him knocking at the door and you're just not opening it. And, and you felt it and you know it. Because you've heard some of these Bible studies. You've heard uh, the gospel message. And so you know it and you feel it. But you haven't done it. It's time. It's time to open the door. It's time to follow and not just think about it and feel it. It's time to do it. It's time to let the action speak for what you know and what you feel. Right? And not to hide behind that knowing and that calling and skirting around the issue of not accepting Jesus in your heart because you're thinking, well, I'll just keep attending church or I'll keep attending those support groups or I'll keep attending those small groups or I'll keep doing whatever, uh, serving people. But you haven't really done that exact thing of letting Jesus into your life. Don't prolong it anymore because the more times you do that, the more difficult it will be to follow through on those actions because you're going to be able to tone out that knocking or tune out. Right? You're going to be able to not listen to that anymore. It's just going to be white noise to you and you'll just be content with thinking about it and feeling it, but you don't have to do anything because you're just kind of used to it by now. It's just like this knock. Before, that knocking was like, oh, it got your attention. But you know, the same noise that you hear over and over again, it just becomes white noise. It's the same thing with baptism. You know we're instructed to do that in the Bible. You even feel it. You feel like doing it, but it still hasn't happened. You didn't do it yet. And it, the, the, the baptism itself doesn't determine your salvation. right? But it does show what has happened on the inside of you in a very public way. So don't just know that you are to be baptized or feel like you want to be baptized. It's time to be baptized. It's time to do it. Or maybe it's a sin in your life. You have the sin in your life. You know it's sin. You feel the conviction. But you haven't done anything about it. 
You talk a lot about it, and you know all the right things to think about it and that it's wrong, and, and you feel horrible about it, but you kind of skirt around it. You skirt around it, not dealing with the immediate thing that's in there. So you start talking to people about it, but you don't talk about the exact thing. You talk around it. Right? Oh, I have lust issues. All you guys have lust issues. Let's not fool ourselves. But what is it specifically? Right? It's time to call that sin out and expose it. Bring it to light and deal with it. I hear that so many times when I'm, I have lust issues. I knew that before, even I met, before I even met you, I knew that. I know you have lust. You're a guy. But what is it? Let's expose it. I have anger issues. And? Why are we so ashamed of doing that? And we, we just want to bring broad terms to it. Like, I have problems at home. Yeah. Everyone does. What is it specifically? Let's deal with it. Right? And so we have all these types of sins and stuff, and we skirt around things. We don't want to get into community to dig that stuff out and to pray for it and to find support and, and to go. It's time to repent. It's time to repent of the exact thing you're dealing with. Not this, I have a lust issue. Look around, you all have lust issues. Maybe it's some situation in your life. And you know you have to let it go. You feel you have to let it go, but you can't. You haven't done it yet. But it's time to let go. See, knowing and feeling isn't the same as following. They're very different things. So you recall back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51... What Jesus was focused on, right? He says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Didn't look back. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew the cost. He had many opportunities to kind of go one way or the other, but he focused there. He doesn't have a pillow for his head. And so there was this urgency in Jesus' life. Don't get me wrong. Jesus is not hurried. Right? Jesus is not busily hurried to get to the cross. It took him 33 years. But it's urgent. There's significance. But he's not hurried. It's not like he was born and, wow, go cross. Right? He didn't do that. There was this 33-year process. But it was always urgent. Right? But he's not hurried. You ever notice that the names of these guys were never given and their choices on to follow or not to follow are never given? They're they're never told. It's just kind of presented this way. Because the point isn't these guys. The point is your urgency to follow Jesus. No matter how long that takes, that you always have this urgent immediacy within your heart to do the things of Jesus. It's not hurried, but there's an urgency. There's this immediacy to your decisions to follow Jesus. So how committed are you to following Jesus? And how urgent is it for you to acknowledge the demands of the kingdom of God? There aren't seasonal soldiers in the, ministry, in the military, right? You, they sign up that contract. It's not like they can only sign up for like six weeks. Right? It's, it's not uh, for you know, a summer. I just want to do that for a summer job. It doesn't work that way. When you sign up, whether you're active duty or as a reserve, you are on and they can call you whenever. It doesn't matter if you're working on an important project at work and it falls apart. If you leave, it does not matter. Once you are called, you're gone. There aren't part-time or seasonal followers of Jesus. You don't have the luxury of taking a break, of going on a leave of absence, of going on vacation. Yes, you deal with your own stuff, but even that's ministry to minister to yourself. 
But you always have the cross on the mind. Right? And as a disciple of Jesus, your time is now. Whether it's a sin issue, whether it's letting something go, whether whatever it may be, making a decision for Jesus, it's right now. To live accordingly to the teachings of Jesus and to have a like-mindedness in the mission of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus. To proclaim the kingdom of God. So for us to take a personal inventory of ourselves today, right now, and ask ourselves if we are truly following Jesus Christ. It's not enough to know and it's not enough to feel. We have to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for reminding us the urgency of living as a follower of Yours. I confess to You that sometimes I am too lax. Just kind of living my life without in mind that I am a follower of Yours. And I have a commission to proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet sometimes I'm too lazy or I don't think about it. It's not on the forefront of my mind, Lord. And I ask, God, that that it would be placed in front of me all the time. And Lord, I pray for the people here, for anyone who needs to make a decision to follow you, Lord, who hasn't done that before. I pray for those people. That they would not just know and feel it, but that they would actually do it. For those who are struggling with a sin, Lord, that, that it would be more than just the conviction that they feel, that it would be more than just what they know that they're doing is sinful, but that they would do something about it. And God, I also pray for those who are just struggling to let something go in their life, that it just has a grip on them, yet they know that it's holding them back and they feel it holding them back. And I pray, Lord, that they would let it go. In Jesus' name, amen.